So the title of the message today is, Do You See What I See? Do you see what I see? I know, I know. Mike, you did a great job with that vocal. I'm the only one that's ever done that better than you. I, I'm the, <laughs> um, and so we're going to look at that story from this perspective, from the perspective of these different people. But you've got to understand that this moment in history that we are looking at is the most anticipated moment in all of the history of the world. Now think with me for just a second, if you are planning and preparing for a big event in your life, maybe it's a graduation, maybe it's the last day of school, maybe it's a vacation, maybe you're planning for months for a wedding, a lot of things, right? Hook in with me, can you understand the feeling of when that day finally comes and it's here? All this preparation, all this planning, anticipation, it's finally here. It's, it's almost overwhelming, that feeling of, I can't believe it's finally here. Y'all relate to that, right? Well, this event that we're talking about today, the birth of Jesus, it was like that feeling on a million steroids. Because since the beginning of time, this was an event that had been foretold that there would be a Messiah, there would be a Savior, there would be someone brought to the earth by God to save mankind, rescue them from sin and bondage. It began even with Adam and Eve. God immediately began speaking about a future work of redemption that he would do through the seed of Eve that would crush the head of Satan. And then you go all the way on down through thousands of years of Scripture, Abraham and the patriarchs, prophecies foretold. Moses, prophecies foretold. King David, prophecies foretold. Hundreds of years of the books of the prophets and the prophetic years, we call them, prophecies foretold of a king, of a savior, of a Messiah. And now that day had finally arrived and the characters in our story have a front row seat. Can you imagine the feeling? Wow, anticipation finally brought to reality. So let's take a look at this first character and I want to ask or bring out, I should say, in each of these uh, characters, if they could say one thing to us today, what do I think that they would say based on their vantage point, their experience of this account of history, of the coming of the Lord? And so I'm going to go through each character. I'm going to read you a few verses so you can help see the, the backdrop, the context that this character is experiencing, and then pull out what is one thing that they would say to us. So let's talk about Elizabeth. Elizabeth, we know, is a cousin of Mary. Mary goes to visit her when they're both pregnant. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist, and obviously Mary, the mother of Jesus. Luke chapter 1. Mary arose in those days, went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. It happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord." So we see that the baby in the womb jumps with strength and energy, leaps in the womb, right? That's, that's not normal. And that the reason for that is joy. 
And that joy has come about because she heard the words of Mary, and, and Mary obviously is bringing, carrying Jesus, and she walks into the room. So I think if Elizabeth could say something to us, it would be this. Strength comes from joy, and joy comes from the presence of the Lord. Amen? We all need strength every day in our life, don't we? I mean, I don't know how you do it without it. You got to have strength for everything you go through. But we as Christians, we draw strength that's not of this world. That strength comes as a result of having genuine joy in our lives that we're meant to live with. Joy to the world, right? It came and invaded the earth to be brought forth to mankind to live differently because now the presence of the Lord would be different in our lives. So we soak, we seek, we pursue God's presence in our lives to worship him, to know him, to walk with him. As a result of that, an outflow is joyfulness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's produced by being in God's presence and walking with him. And when we have that genuine, authentic joy, we carry a strength in our lives that we can't get from another means. So, so strength comes from joy, and joy comes from the genuine presence of the Lord. Now, what about Mary's husband, or uh, Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias? Let's read also in Luke chapter 1. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. So Zacharias was a priest. He was performing priestly duties at his time of the year. He was in the temple. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears and he freaks out. He's afraid. Let me just say this, I really think if any one of us saw an angel, we would freak out too. Because you see that all through scripture, like, whoa, what is that? Like, big deal, right? So he sees an angel, and then the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So they've been praying for a child. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll neither drink wine nor strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from even his mother's womb. He'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is a powerful prophecy about what his son was going to do. And then here's Zacharias' response to that. He said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Now, that's a correction, in case you didn't catch that. That's a correction. But I think if Zechariah could say one thing to us, it's as obvious as anything in Scripture to me. It would be this, never call your wife old. <laughs> you may never speak again, okay? But I think he would actually say this, speak faith, not doubt. Speak faith, not doubt. Can we not be naive? We talk about our circumstances and our situations all the time every day to people and to ourselves, do we not? There's conversations that are looping in our head every day about what's going on in our lives. Can we not be naive? What we say and speak about our situation affects the environment and the outcome. We need to create an environment of faith, not of doubt, and that happens largely in part to the words that we release off of our lips. 
Speak faith, I will. Thank you. Speak faith, not doubt. Let's look at the shepherds, the shepherds in the hill country. Luke chapter 2. Pastor Guy actually read these verses, but I'm going to read them again just to kind of pull the context of what they might say to us out. There were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, watching their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly angels, or heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So this was an angelic choir that absolutely explodes it's as if maybe a veil pulls back or the heavens kind of pull open and the shepherds are able to see a large part of what's happening in the spiritual and heavenly realm. That's glorious. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, back into heaven, right? The shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph in the babe wrap, lying in the manger And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. Mary kept these things in her heart and pondered them, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen that was told to them. So I think if the shepherds could say something to us, it would be this, um, Jesus is somebody worth talking about, right? I mean, they've got a Jesus story now. And here's the amazing thing to me. As they tell their Jesus stories, when people hear it, they marvel. We should all have Jesus stories. I mean, if if you're a born-again believer, you've been rescued from the clutches of sin and death, you were bound for hell, and now you're headed to heaven, and that is something worth talking about. Not to mention all the glorious things he continues to do age after age after age in our lives. Am I telling stories about what God is doing in my life in a way that causes people to marvel? I had a conversation with a lady this week in our church who's battled COVID and sickness for the last uh, two weeks very seriously, and she's, she's doing well, and she's coming through it now, and she was just sharing story after story of how God has brought her through this, from her health recovery to her financial situation to the people that she witnessed to in the hospital, all these amazing parts of this. And I got to tell you, as she told me her Jesus stories, I marveled. I was in awe of our God and what he was doing in that situation. And I thought about that in light of this point, the shepherds is, man, am I talking about Jesus everywhere I go in a way that people are marveling? Because I talk about a lot of things, but I just got to tell you, he's the thing that's the most worth talking about in my life. Amen? Let's talk about the wise men. Matthew chapter 2. They departed, and behold, a star which they had seen in the east went before them, and it came and stood over where the child was. We know that to be Bethlehem. When When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. 
And when they had opened their treasuries, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, these wise men we know are people from the east, likely Persia, referred to as magi. They were the wise, astute, and knowledgeable intellectual philosophers of the day. They were also wealthy, very wealthy. So here's the point that I want you to get before we extract what they might say to us. These wisest men of the day, when they come and get in the presence of Jesus, their immediate response is they fall to their face and worship him. He is holy. He is holy and he is worthy of praise. These are the the great men of the day. And what would people see? They would see them on their face, on their knees, worshiping a king who's worthy of that. And I think if they could say something to us, drawing this out by them dumping and emptying out their treasuries and gifts to the Lord, it would be this. Be quick to trade earthly treasure for spiritual blessings. Earthly treasure. This is this frankincense myrrh and all these stuff. It's nothing. I'm just, just I'm throwing it all down at the feet of Jesus. I just give him everything I have because I'm trading this for something better, a spiritual blessing to be able to stand in the presence of Almighty God and worship him in spirit and in truth. God says, for those who are in Christ, we are promised an inheritance of rich spiritual blessings. Those spiritual blessings do not always look like the material blessings of this world. I think they would tell us, be quick to let go of these and release these, trade these in for the greater blessings which are spiritual that come from knowing Jesus Christ and living in his presence. Amen? Simeon. Simeon's a guy that a lot of times we pass by. He's a part of the story. He was there when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him as a child and, and Simeon enters the story. We don't see anything else in Scripture about this guy, but these verses are extremely important. Uh, Luke chapter 2, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a just and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, the dedication. And he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, so these are the words of Simeon when he lays eyes on Jesus, look now, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. I think if Simeon could say one thing to us, it would be this. Meeting Jesus is the most significant event of your lifetime. And in fact, it's worth waiting your whole life for. (laughs) I mean, he's lived his whole life. He lays eyes on Jesus, and you know what he said? I can die in peace now. I've seen my salvation. I've seen the Lord's salvation. Hallelujah. I mean, I pray God gives me a long life and to do great things on the earth, spend many days with my family, people I love. I do. I pray for that, absolutely, admittedly. But I got to tell you that something has happened in my life now. I've met Jesus. It's sealed my eternal fate, and I no longer live in this world with a fear of death because the most important thing that's ever had to be settled in my life is me meeting Jesus and getting to know him. 
It's the most important event of our lifetime and of anyone else's lifetime. If you've already met him, I hope we're introducing him to other people who haven't. Joseph. I was able, I looked at this, thought we could go a lot of directions with Joseph. He's, he's in this story quite a bit, many different instances. Where do you want to go with this one, Lord? And here's where I felt like he took me, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take this young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So many of us know this part of the story. Herod, who is king in Israel at the time, reigning in Israel, is threatened and, and raging jealousy he is experiencing about this king that's come and has been born now. And so in his jealousy, he decides to eliminate the threat by having every child two years old and under, male children in Bethlehem, killed. Horrific. And we were in Israel a couple times, and we were in Bethlehem, and, and one of the tours we took down in these catacombs and these uh, kind of underground tombs, they had let us know that archaeologists had discovered a multitude of infant bones in this area. This event absolutely, of course, took place. And uh, what I think Joseph would say to us is this, because an angel appears to him and warns him of this and tells him to flee from this area. Let me say it this way, leads him away from the danger. He goes into Egypt, and he's, so he's led into safety, but it's by an appearance of an angel, right? So I think if Joseph could teach us something, it's, it's a leadership lesson, especially for godly leadership, men and women, it would be this, leadership requires revelation. I've studied more books on leadership than any other topic in my lifetime. I love it. It fascinates me. I I will be a student of that for the rest of my life. But I have to tell you that one of the key parts of being a godly leader is understanding that you must be a spirit-led leader. And in order to lead effectively in our homes, in our church, in our families, in our community, as godly men and women leading people, we must have revelation. Not just worldly knowledge, not just practical knowledge. We have to hear from the Lord. The angel shows up and tells Joseph about danger that he has no way of knowing exists for him and his family. And the angel simultaneously leads him to the place where there is safety. There are things that have happened in my life and I know will continue to, and I would suggest yours as well. There are things that God needs to warn you about or steer you clear from that you will never see coming if you're looking only with your natural eyes. You'll never see them coming. He'll lead you away from things and you won't even fully understand. You'll just know, there's not a peace. I need to get away from this place. That's revelation. And then he'll lead you to places where there's divine opportunities that you could never even imagine what they are or what's in store, and it doesn't even look like something that you would go after, but the Lord leads you there and you know you gotta go. So leadership requires revelation. And then lastly, let's look at Mary. Luke 1, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Her name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. 
When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of God, the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I wish I could, but I can't. Time doesn't permit me to preach on this particular point that's packed full of so many great things, an everlasting kingdom that Jesus establishes. There's been mighty empires all through the face of the earth through history. They have risen and they have fallen. This is a kingdom that was established that the Bible declares will only increase forever and ever and ever through all of eternity. There'll be no end to that. So imagine being married. Take that in. Whew, wow, that's a big deal, right? This is who your son's going to be. And so Mary responded to the angel and said, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, your, your, uh, Elizabeth, your relative, who's also conceived a son in her old age, and now is in the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Wow. You know, I can... Uh, appreciate this instance that Mary's in. She's being told that her son is going to be this king, is going to have an everlasting throne, and then on top of that, she's never known a man. And so I think if Mary could say something to us of many things probably, but one might be this, the greatest things that God wants to do in your life are impossible for you to do on your own. Impossible. I know a lot of talented people skilled, gifted people who, by the world's accounts, the things they do, the things they achieve are incredibly impressive. We all probably know people like that. But I want you to hear this, and I want this to encourage you for each and every one of us who know Christ. The things that God has planned for you that he wants to do in and through your life, if those are fulfilled, they will put to shame all of the greatest accomplishments that could be achieved in natural capabilities. If what you're envisioning as a possibility or what you're believing for and dreaming for in your life, you could look at and say, you know, if things fall into place, if things go well, if I work hard enough, I can see how it would come together. Listen to me. If it's naturally attainable, I would challenge you to ask yourself the question, am I actually thinking big enough? Because the beautiful thing about the way God calls us to live is he invites us into this space, into this place in space where things that are not naturally achievable are supernaturally achievable. And, and so Mary's response, I think, is accurate. She says, how could this be? I don't know a man. I could see, look, this is a big deal that he's a king, that he would reign, that he would have all this, thro this throne and all this is a big deal, but there have been great kings who have been born and raised, risen to power that left lasting impact. But let's acknowledge the, the greater impossibility here. She's never known a man, <laughs> and she's going to have a child without having known a man. So when she says, how is this possible? Her response is accurate. And then the response of the angel is appropriate and profound. It says, oh, no, 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 you're exactly right. In your own ability, it's not possible. 
You, you're concluding properly. It's not. But he makes this statement that I think we all need to take in and hear, with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. What's impossible with God? Nothing. No thing. Nothing. <laughs> Everything is possible with him. Man, that's huge. He says, Mary, here's what's going to happen, and here's why it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to be anointed with a power from on high. You're going to have a blessing that doesn't exist from this world. That's how it's going to happen. And then he says this. I, I, I've, I was drawn to a word in this story that I've not been as drawn to in years past when I've studied this. It just really jumped out at me. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you. Overshadow. And so I study that all through Scripture and other places where it was. It actually uses that word when it talks about the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. But it basically means this, to be overshadowed. It means that you are enveloped in the brilliance of God's favor and glory. Wow. As believers, God wants to give us his favor. He wants to bless us with his abilities to lead us into places that we can never go on our own. So yes, I think if Mary was to say something to us, it would be this. The greatest things God wants to do in your life are impossible for you to achieve on your own. Start thinking in the realm of impossible, not possible. And I really think there's somebody here who needs to hear this today. Just kind of a burden in this for me. I think there's somebody that needs to hear this. Right now, you're facing something, you're dealing with something, you're battling something that's been going on, and from every natural perspective, the way the numbers add up, everything you've crunched, every, every lane you've looked at to come at this, every strategy you've formulated, every way you've tried to figure to approach a conversation, everything you've tried in your natural knowledge is seeming to fail through this. <laughs> you're coming to the conclusion where you're saying, I cannot see a way through this. <laughs> I, I, this, is, this is not possible. And I believe the Lord wants you to hear this today. With him, nothing is impossible. You may not see anything in the natural that shows you a way through, but will you believe for what exists in the realm of the impossible? If God has led you there, and I stress that, if he's led you there, if he's with you and, and he's guiding you, your heart is devoted to him, I assure you, he will lead you through that. Amen? Amen. <laughs> well, that was a fun little journey for me. I hope that was fun for you. Seven different vantage points that we looked at our story from, all different, uniquely driven perspectives. But here's the thing that I'll kind of bring this home with, is that there's something that unites all of these different people. There's something that aligns all of these experiences there's a center to this story, and frankly, it's meant to be the center of every story, and that's Jesus. You pull Jesus from this story, and it's just a bunch of fragmented different paths that are all headed in different directions. Jesus is what brings this all together, and so here's where my heart for the family is, the family unit, the message that God would perhaps want to say to us at this time is that we need to contend in our households, in our families, the unit of the family, to be united and to be aligned 
around Jesus Christ and what he is doing in our family right now at this point in time? These are questions worth asking. God, we know we ask a lot. God, what are you doing in my life? What are you up to? Absolutely appropriate. But as leaders of households, as members of a body of believers in a church or a community, it is necessary and often overlooked or time not devoted to it, but it is necessary for us to ask these questions. God, what are you doing in my family collectively? What are you doing in our household? How are you using all of us together to accomplish something greater for you than just individually? What are you doing in our church right now, God? What are you up to in our community? What are you up to in our land, in our nation, on the earth now in my generation? Because I promise you, he's doing something. And we need to ask that question, that's, that are, the questions that are bigger than just, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in the lives of the people around me that you've put me in position to walk with and live with? My family, my kids, they have a calling, they have a destiny. I need to know what these things are. I need to invest the time, the energy. I need to invest the prayer. You don't get this in a 30-second conversation or a short dinner prayer. Like, this is treasure. You got a mine. <laughs> and I've lived long enough to realize that we can't go deep in a lot of things as people. We can go deep in a few. And this is one that's worth going deep in. What is God up to in my family? in my household, and will we align around what brings us together, what unites us more than anything else, which is that we are all a part of a heavenly family, and God is up to something collectively in all of us, and that we would invest the time, the energy to ask those questions, to understand those questions, and to lead our families, our households, the people around us in a direction together that we are united in. Listen, anything God ordains as a unit, as a group, the enemy wants to divide. Solid theological principle. If God ordains it and unites it, the enemy wants to divide it. We've got to fight for unity. We've got to drive a stake in the ground and go to war for this because the enemy's coming against it hard, and I don't need to tell you that. It's happening all over the place. But if we will come together around, not just what is God doing in my life, what's he doing in the lives of the people around me and unite and head in the same direction, I believe something absolutely significant can take place in our midst. If we put a bunch of people on a big ship and everybody just starts paddling furiously with energy, aggression, strength, they will exhaust themselves, they will expend themselves wear themselves out. It'll be a valiant effort of paddling. But if everybody's going in a different direction, I assure you the ship as a whole will get nowhere. But if you put everybody in that ship and you apply all their effort, gifts, and talents, and you head that in the same direction, that ship will arrive with a fury, with a strength, and with purpose that cannot be attained if everybody's going their own way. Am I making sense? We come together and line around the one thing more than anything else that brings us together, and that's our connection and our love to each other and for one another because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So I'll close with that today, that we are called to be blessed, but we are called to walk united, aligned, and together. Ask the questions. Invest the time. Come to know in your household, your family, 
what is God up to collectively in this unit? Because I've seen God use individuals, but I've seen him use families. And I've seen what I categorize as an anointing and a blessing on a family unit that's absolutely beautiful. And I think it's even more impactful than just as one individual walking something out on their own. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me today? And we just declare, the Lord is good, isn't he? Amen. We uh, have the opportunity to really acknowledge and focus in on the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ this time of year. But let's also remember that the work of Jesus, the, the full work and re, the redemptive work of Christ could be, could be summarized in the birth our immaculate conception, the miraculous birth, the sinless life, the suffering on the cross, and the resurrection from the grave. That's the full and complete work. And I want to say this to you today. If you believe that and you trust in the Lord that he accomplished that for you, then you would be saved. You'd be born again. You'd be filled with the Spirit of God, anointed for a life of purpose. And so perhaps you're here today and you say, man, I've never made the decision to actually surrender my life to Christ. I, I've never really invited him in. I've heard that story a lot, but I've never actually made this conscious decision that I would give my heart, my life, that I would surrender my will to him and invite him in to be Lord of my life. Well, folks, that's there's no, there's no greater question for any of us this side of eternity than that. What, what do you do with Jesus? He's more than a story. He's more than a story. He wants to be Lord. And so if you say you're here today and you want to settle this, you want to know, I'm going to be in heaven. I want to be filled with purpose. I want to be able to walk out supernatural lifestyle, impossible on my own. That's what I want to live for then I'm going to invite you today to invite Jesus into your heart. Make him Lord. Maybe you're here and you would say, oh, I've done that. I've made that decision in the past, but I've walked down a different road. I've walked down a different path. Somewhere along the line, I got away. And I'm just, I just need to get back. And if that's you, don't let the enemy drive a wedge between you and God right now that is a lie that says, you need to earn your way back. You had it, you lost it, and now you gotta, you gotta do a bunch of things to get it back. That's a lie. Grace is free. So we just have to trust and have faith that it's the blood of Jesus that makes it possible for us. So much like the prodigal son, when you wanna come back, the father runs to meet you where you are and begins to restore you to a place of righteousness. You're forgiven. Not through a set of deeds that you have to go accomplish before you get it. He forgives you right then and there. But you got to mean it in your heart and be willing to change from that point on. So if you say either of those describe you, yes, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to make him Lord. I want to, I want to be changed forever. Or I want to get back to walking with him. I'm just going to invite you to pray today. Would you, everybody just kind of bow your heads and close your eyes. If you say, yep, that is me, pastor, and I need that prayer. Would you just raise your hand? God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Yeah, be bold. That's great. God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. 
Hallelujah. I see hands going up now. One more time. If you already raised your hand, you don't have to put it up again. Is there anybody else here that says, I want to give my life to Christ or I need to get back to walking with Christ from this day on? This is going to be a new day for me. God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. And God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. Hallelujah. This is your day. This is your day. (laughs) The Lord is good. He has great things planned for you. I just want you to hear that. The Lord has good things planned for you. I feel like the Lord is saying this. You don't need to have it all figured out. Settle your mind down for a moment. You don't need to have it all figured out. You don't need to have every step already executed in your mind ahead of time. Come to Jesus. Let him wrap his loving arms around you and then let him begin to lead you step by step to where he wants to take you. I come against anxiety. I come against stress. I come against fear in Jesus' name to try to rob them of this thing today. And so you say in your heart, dear Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I am but a sinner, a wretched human being. God, I am so in need of your grace and mercy. Would you forgive me of any of my sins? Wash me clean by your blood. My faith and trust is entirely in you, Jesus. I believe that you are my Lord and Savior. You came and suffered and died for me. You coming to the earth was so that I could be saved. And I'm putting my faith and trust entirely in that today. I don't trust this world. I put my trust in you. In fact, I let go of this world that I might lay hold of you and everything you have for me. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.